Are you encouraged? Isn't that encouraging? It's so precious. I'm so excited to get a chance to do that uh, once a year, and I'm and, um, so glad for those of you who may be visiting with us this morning, part of the family, that you're able to worship with us this morning. This morning, we're embarking on a new series uh, called Not So Fast. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the next six weeks to slow down. As you know, perhaps last Wednesday in the church calendar um, began a, series, uh, a season called Lent. And Lent, in our context, might be reduced to maybe Friday fish fries, right? And maybe giving something up. But originally what Lent was meant to be was a time of preparation for followers, new followers of Jesus who had placed their faith in Jesus would typically get baptized on Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And so it was a time of preparation and identification with the, the, the leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what happened is that that was only a certain amount of people part of the congregation, if you would. And so over time, Lent became a more broad approach to people kind of ramping up and getting ready for uh, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. It was a period marked by fasting, repentance, and preparation. And so we're going to take the next six weeks and we're going to slow down. Um, can you all just do something with me? Just Can we all just take a deep breath? And then... You doing okay? Just going to need to slow down. Some of you came in. It was crazy this morning. Just need to slow down. I, I have to be very frank with you. I'm, I'm probably very guilty. I need to slow down myself. In fact, funny story is sometimes uh, I will come into the house and I'll find my children uh, listening to me on YouTube when I preach, but they're doing it in half speed because they think it's hilarious <laughs> or quarter speed. I actually have a brief clip for you. I just want to show you what I come sometimes into here when I come home. Jesus, I'm going to talk about him today until you make it nauseous hearing his name. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, so... I mean, let me just acknowledge, I need to slow down. They're like, Dad, if you could slow down, you talk too fast. Now we can actually understand what you're saying on YouTube if we can get it at quarter speed. But um, this morning, anyway, for parent-child dedication, this morning I wanted to start the series out talking about something that we sometimes can be quick to do and say, let's not be so fast to do that. And one of the things that we can be really quick to do is to kind of outsource, outsource our faith in terms of imparting it to the next generation. Instead of maybe slowing down and investing ourselves into the next generation. We maybe would outsource it perhaps to the, the, the church or maybe to some of their friends or maybe David in the youth ministry or whatever. But it's, it's not something that we are called to do. We are called to be intentional about investing in the next generation. Now, I'm not just talking to parents here because every single one of us in the room has somebody who is in the, a part of the next generation in our lives. And even if they're not young, maybe it's someone that we're trying to disciple or walk alongside and raise them up to know Jesus and go through and walk through scriptures uh, with them. And so this morning, I want to walk through some ancient scriptures that, that highlight the importance of not being fast to outsource our faith to the next generation. To do that, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 is on page, I think, 449. There it is, 449. So you have Bibles underneath your chairs. would strongly encourage you to grab one of those and follow along with me. We're going to go through a number of scriptures, so it will be helpful if you uh, grab a Bible and open up the Proverbs with me. 
Now, Proverbs, as you open to 449, Proverbs is um, typically understood as kind of wise statements, right? When you think of a proverb, you might think of something like two wrongs don't make a right, or the pen is mightier than the sword, right? A proverb. Or even something like this. If you ever drop your keys into a river of molten lava, let them go, because, man, they're gone. Okay? That's a deep thought by Jack Handy. Anyway, that's not a proverb. But proverbs are not just meant to be good advice. Okay? Proverbs are not just kind of life hacks that you might find on YouTube where you learn how to cut a watermelon really fast. That's great. But proverbs are more than that. Proverbs are God's invitation to learn wisdom from him and from the previous generations. And so in the book of Proverbs, when we open it up, we find Solomon is mentioned right away. Now Solomon is the son of King David of David and Goliath. So we have David who had a son Solomon. And what happens in the book of 1 Kings is we find that God gives this amazing blessing to Solomon. And he says, hey, what would you like, Solomon? I'd like to bless you. And Solomon says, well, I don't, I don't really want wealth. I don't want power or influence. I just want wisdom. And God says, you know what? That's, that's amazing. I'm going to give you wisdom and those other things because you asked for wisdom. And that's what he does. And if you look throughout uh, history, you'll find that Solomon is understood to be one of the wisest men in the ancient world. Now, if you follow the story of Solomon beyond chapter 3 of 1 Kings, though, you'll find that Solomon, he may have known about wisdom. He didn't always live wisdom out and apply it in his own life. The Hebrew word, though, for wisdom is chokmah, and it means the application of wisdom. Not just information, but the application of wisdom. I think sometimes when we think about wisdom today, we think just information. That's not the case. In his book, Artificial Maturity, generational author and expert Dr. Tim Elmore writes this. He says, today, because information is so prevalent, our kids assume that they have experiential knowledge when they only have informational knowledge. With an abundance of knowledge, their confidence can soar, but it's based on a virtual foundation. Without experience, it's easier for knowledge to produce judgmental attitudes, bullying, and arrogance. And so again, so Proverbs is not just about information or good advice. It's about applying the wisdom of God and learning from previous generations. And so I'm going to just highlight some things in the first eight chapters or so of Proverbs. Because in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, what we find is ten letters that were written from a father to a son or sons. And so I'm going to read basically just a couple verses from the first eight chapters with you. To do that, um, I want to pray. Actually, I'd have you stand while I read Scripture. And we're going to read these words together. Let me pray first. Father, thank you for your words and your wisdom. Father, may we not just know information this morning, but may we apply this chokmah, this wisdom, for your sake and your glory. I pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so... I'm going to start with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Now what I want you to do is I want you to look for themes that you see sticking out when I keep skipping around through the first nine chapters here. I want you to look for some themes. I'm going to ask you in just a minute. Here we go. 1.8 says this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, dot, 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 I'm going to stop there, chapter 3, verse 1. 
My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Chapter 4, verse 1. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Chapter 6, here verse 20. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep your words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. And chapter 8, we'll go to verse 32. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. This is God's word. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So that was a lot of skimming, okay? But you'll see a, repeat, a bunch of repeated themes and patterns. In fact, I want to ask you, what, what did you see? What are some themes that were repeated? Yes. My son. Yes. Excellent. We're going to we're talk about that in a minute. Yes. What else? Listen. Yeah, we see listening over and over again. What are some other themes that we find? Remember. Don't forget. Remember. Anything else? What else? Say that again. Ways. Commandments. Oh, obey. Obey. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I want to I highlight um, four different themes that I think we see come out here. Those are the themes of connection, instruction, attention, and decoration. Okay? Connection, instruction, attention, and decoration. Let's start with connection. Over and over again, my son. We see my son. My son. In fact, I have it on this next slide highlighted. This is way too small for you to read. Sorry, this is all of it. But the blue is the repeated words we see over and over and over again in these, these letters. Because there's a relational connection here. Solomon has directional intent with his wisdom. He's not just throwing out one-liners to anybody saying, I am connecting. I want to connect with you, son. And I want to pass this out, this wisdom out to you. I want to take ownership of passing this on to the next generation. Okay? And he's, when he's talking about wisdom here, he's not just talking about, hey, son, here's how you fill out a March Madness bracket, or here's how you drive a car. He's saying, here is how you understand the wisdom of God. In fact, if you were to read through Proverbs, you're going to find that there is a sentence that would sum up the entire book of Proverbs, and it's on this next slide. It is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is the, that is the gist of all of Proverbs, saying that if we put God at the center this is where wisdom begins from. So let me ask you, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, are we intentionally making connection with those in the next generation? And as we make that connection, are we seeking to invest in them and impart God's wisdom to them? Because we here, as, as a family at Kettlebrook, if you bring your children here, for example, or if you bring your friends here, we can help invest in them for about it's about 40 hours a year's worth. Parents have about 3,000 hours a year of influence. There's a significant difference, okay? When was the last time that we slowed down enough, put our phones down long enough, turned off Netflix to spend some time in connection 
and imparting godly wisdom to the next generation. Okay, and you might say, Troy, we've already talked about this, Troy. I don't feel like I know God's word enough to do that for the next generation. I'd say that's okay. That's what we call humility. We can actually teach the next generation humility by saying, I want to learn this with you. Let's learn this together. But this is one theme, connection. Solomon is leveraging his relational connection with his sons um, to pass on God's wisdom. Second theme is instruction. Check out this next slide. This is how saturated these verses are with the idea of teaching, instruction, understanding, and learning. In other words, there's content here. Okay, there's biblical content that's passed on from one generation to the next. Generational contact and truth that does not waver with the wind of things. It doesn't change with the latest TikTok trend or fad, okay? It's timeless truth. Now, today in our context, I, I don't think we have any problem with content. Is anyone starving for content? No, right? Like, the idea is that we have been so blessed that the a significant chunk of humanity's intellectual capacity is now available here in my pocket, right? Hey Siri, hey Google, right? This is what we do. But because we've been now conditioned to demand quick responses, our brains are literally being reshaped in ways that allow us to actually absorb and apply less content than in the past. Nicholas Carr wrote a book. It was a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize and it was called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And in this book, he makes this case. He says this. Next slide here. When we go online, we enter an environment that promotes cursory reading, hurried and distracted thinking, and superficial learning. It's possible to think deeply while surfing the net, just as it's possible to think uh, shallowly while reading a good book. But that's not the type of thinking the technology actually encourages and rewards. The net seizes our attention only to scatter it. The net's cacophony of stimuli, short circuits, short circuits, both conscious and unconscious thought, preventing our minds from thinking either deeply or creatively. Our brains turn into simple, single processing units, quickly shepherding information into consciousness and then back out again. Can anyone say, okay, is that what's happening? Right? And some of you who are younger, you may not know this is all you've known. I'm an old man now. And I remember back when I feel like I could focus better. I mean, there's, there's just a lot, a lot of information. And the information that gets thrown at us, we end up kind of popping in and out. I'm going, well, I'm just blaming, I was blaming COVID for a while. And I'm like, no, actually, thinking about cars work, I think this is what's actually happening. You don't have to be part of the study to, I think, experience what's going on. And so the amount of content that we, we have in the world, it's there, it's easily accessible. What it does is it causes us to assume that if the next generation needs to learn something, just Google it. We just tell them, just Google it, okay? And so we've been quick to outsource instruction to screens and memes. We've been quick to outsource to screens and memes. And when we've done that, we've delegated our responsibility to invest in the next generation and to have that they end up fending for themselves. Uh, share a story about that's related to this. Some, some years ago, I had a friend, a young lady, who was a friend of mine, and she, um, she had a handful of kids, and the men in her life had abandoned her and her, her children. And she, through Facebook, uh, ended up reconnecting with a boyfriend from high school who lived a number of states away, okay? 
So through a series of interactions on Facebook, she invited him up here to spend some time here. And we are, this is really important. Ready? Listen closely. Okay. I don't know where I was. Let's see. Um, so, oh, she invited, she invited the guy up. And so he came and he was there a couple days and he decided what he was going to do is he was actually going to stay and move in with her. Okay, but before she was going to do that, she, she wanted him to meet with me because I guess that's, what, that's my job. I don't know. So anyway, I ended up going to breakfast to meet with this guy and I, I just listened to him tell, tell his story. I'd hear it for about an hour, just listened to him. It turned out he had just gotten out of the military, but he had a girlfriend back where he was and had three children. And so after, after listening to his story for about an hour, I, I said, soldier, I said, do I have your permission to give you some of my thoughts on this? And he said, yes, sir, which I thought was a good start. Um, and I said, soldier, you know that the, the, in the army, one of the most important things is that the mission comes before yourself, correct? He said, yes, sir. I said, and you never leave a comrade behind, correct? He said, yes, sir. And so I said, with all due respect, soldier, I'm not sure how I understand that you have left a woman and three children behind three states away. With all due respect, I would ask you to pick up your stuff, get in your car, and go back because you've abandoned them on a battlefield. And you need to go back. And he did. The next day, he did. And so I got a call from my friend. She wasn't super excited about my breakfast meeting. Um, and, 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 she sa- and, and she said, um, why did you say that? I said, well, you asked me to meet with them. I asked him for permission. Like, what did you think I was going to say? Did you think I was going to say, yeah, come, yeah. Like, like what if, if he just left behind a woman, three children, like, what is the chances of him doing that again? He needs to go take care of them. And she, she eventually understood. But I tell you that story because our children are on a battlefield today. And I wonder how often we are abandoning them on the battlefield by not intentionally taking the time and energy to sit with them, to process with them, to teach them the wisdom of God from his word. You know, I was thinking about this past week. Uh, I, I kind of did the math just this past week because I was writing about this this week. It's like, how much time did I spend navigating with my five children kind of things going on in their lives? And I think it was about eight hours. And I'm, I'm not saying that because like, oh man, that's fantastic. I'm saying I didn't want to do that. I'll be honest. It was like 10.30 sometimes. I was exhausted. I don't want to do that. I got stuff I want to do for, my, for me, right? But I can't, I have to address these things because I can't leave them on the battlefield unequipped to stand against what they're facing, just equipped with this. Because they're, they're getting content, okay? They're being instructed all day long, but by what and by whom? TikTok? Which, by the way, the Attorney General, if you saw it, like the Attorney General is investigating TikTok and its impact on young lives and brains. Like it's happening this week. So, that's instruction. Connection, instruction. I'm going to talk about attention. Take a look at this next slide. This is all the times we see the word, the ideas of paying attention, listening, hear. Uh, the first word up there, listen, is actually that word that Kim talked about, shema. It's one of the most important phrases in all the Hebrew scriptures, shema, Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. Listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. 
He is your God and he is one. He's, they're saying, listen, pay attention to, do not forget, do not forsake, treasure these things. And as you hear them, give attention to them. Family, I wonder if we can expect the next generation to pay attention to the wisdom that, that we may have of God to share with them if we are not paying attention to them. Okay? Catherine Steiner Adair is a psychologist. Uh, she's a research associate also in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. She wrote a book called The Big Disconnect, Protecting Childhood and Family Relationships in the Digital Age. And as part of her research, she interviewed uh, 1,250 kids throughout the country, a lot of qualitative data. And she wrote this book, and as one of her discoveries, I just thought were really interesting. Here's what she writes. She says, the thing that really blew me away was how frustrated and exhausted kids of all ages are trying to get their parents' attention. It was really sad to hear children using the same adjectives, angry, sad, mad, lonely, frustrated, at every age. For instance, six and seven-year-olds would say things like, I hate it when my mom says, can't wait to see you after school, honey. I'll be the first in line to pick up, and then I get in the car and she's talking to grandma. Or, next slide, and then 24-year-olds, 26-year-olds would say, it's so annoying, it actually feels hurtful when my parents are excited to pick me up at the airport. And they meet me, and we get in the car, and they ask me something important, like, which job are you going to take? Or did you really break up with your girlfriend? In three seconds, they're taking a call to make a golf game or dinner reservations. We ask them a serious question, then we say, oops, just wait a second. Next slide. The norm is that it's okay to be in a conversation with your husband, your wife, your friends, your kids, whatever. And at the sound of a ping or a little vibration of your phone, you ask them to freeze in time and turn your attention elsewhere. You don't even know who it is that's calling. But whatever it is, the message is that this matters more. This is more important. I'm leaving you in the moment. And I'm guilty of this, family. I'm guilty of this, okay? I'm not, I'm not casting judge. I'm just saying this is the research. This is the reality. I, I can speak from personal experience. I'm guilty of this. Can we expect the next generation to pay attention to hear, to give heed to our instruction if we are not giving them our attention? So we have connection, instruction, attention, and last but not least, we find decoration. Look, look at this next slide. Now here in the purple, I've got all the different places and ways in which we find um, Solomon saying, hey, this is, needs to be on all parts of your body, okay? In fact, let me just pick on somebody. Archie, come on up here, buddy. I, I, I love you, young man. Come on up here. I'm just going to pick on you. Archie's going to, can we give Archie a round of applause for volunteering? All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, so I just want to let us say, what does it look like? What does decoration, the decoration of wisdom, look like in our lives? Okay, so we talk about it being a crown, like the wisdom being a crown for your, our head, right? Okay, so we have that. Hold on to that, okay? We talk about, um, he talks about having it be something you hear or listen to, okay? Here, you know what? Let's take this off. Put these on first. How's this? You ready? Yeah. Those look great on you. Here we go. All right. So we want to have this as a crown on your head. Okay, this is why, this is why people don't sit in the front row. Uh, okay, this is, it's supposed to be around your neck. Put that, sorry, Sue, can you put that slide back up so we can see? Put this around your neck, okay? This is the teaching and the wisdom. Put this around your neck. You, do you remember this game? Remember this game? Yeah. And put those in there. Oh, my God. How are you doing? You get braces? Yeah. This is COVID-friendly. There we go. Okay, here we go. All right. On your lips, okay? On your lips are supposed to be the instruction. You doing okay? Okay. And your eyes, the apple of your eye, okay? And then we have on your heart and within you, okay? Within you and your heart, okay? How you doing? Yeah. So this is, 
This is how the instruction of the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord is supposed to decorate us so that sort of like metaphorically, but literally, we are to take this. And so it's not just about Archie knowing wisdom. It's about when Archie walks around, people are like, wow, (laughs) tell me about your wisdom. Tell me. Are there something different about you, Archie? Tell me about the wisdom, okay? So I'm actually going to have you wear that back to your seat, okay? Just wear that. Keep that in there, okay? I'm going to need it for the next service, but um, keep that on. And Because what's going to happen is the people around you are going to be going, wow, that's strange, okay? But this is what we're supposed to, it's not supposed to be just some narcissistic wisdom that we have for ourselves. We are supposed to adorn ourselves, decorate ourselves with the wisdom of God so that others might say, what is going on? I want, I want to know that wisdom. I want to see how it's lived out so that others would be drawn to him. Thank you, Archie. I appreciate you. Can we give Archie another thank you? See, family, Solomon was granted wisdom, this amazing wisdom, and he shared it with his words, but unfortunately, here's a dis- there was a disconnect. If you can, again, keep reading through the book of Kings, we find that Solomon had these, you know, this wisdom, but he didn't live it out. In fact, he fell into some of the very folly that he warns against in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. He specifically warns against, um, you know, falling into lust, and he, and he ends up, that's what Solomon does. He gets a whole bunch of wives, a whole bunch. And that's not, well, that was not God's design at all. And so things went really downhill from there. Split the kingdom in half. His sons rebelled against him. It was a mess. And so Solomon's only, his wisdom only goes so far because he didn't apply it. But thankfully, those of us who are here today, we don't have to look back to a king and look at King Solomon. We get to look back at a different king. We don't have to look just back. We get to look forward to a different king. His name is Jesus. And he is a king who lived out the godly wisdom in every aspect of his life perfectly. Okay? Because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He kept not only God's words, but he was the word. He not only treasured the commandments in his heart, he perfectly obeyed them and fulfilled them. I want to read just a few things that Jesus himself said from John, the book of John. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. This is Jesus living out the wisdom that Solomon points to in Proverbs. Father, listen to my instruction. Jesus says, I only do what the father does. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, he tells his disciples, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus perfectly obeyed his Father's commands. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. He's, again, talking to his disciples. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. He's wearing it around. His life is decorated with it. He has come, Jesus has come to to be the one who brings and restores our connection with the Father. He is the one who has perfectly given heed to or heard and, and, and paid attention to the commandments of the Father. He is the instruction. He is the Word. And his life is completely decorated with the wisdom of God and lived out perfectly. Praise God for Jesus, who is the perfect King and has obeyed his father. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Amen. So how do we apply this? I want to give you three quick things to try to apply uh, our message today. One is uh, what um, Astaire called a tech Shabbat. 
She says, what, what we may want to look at is what's called the Tech Shabbat. Shabbat is the Hebrew word for Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to be a legalist about this, but it's Lent, and I'm not telling you to give anything up. I'm just saying, hey, what would it look like for us to maybe do something intentional for the next uh, 40 days or so and say, we're going to put these things away for a time, or we're going to spend even 24 hours without this? <laughs> what would happen? I don't know. What would happen if we just put, just said, I'm not going to use this for a day? People used to do it, it's crazy. And still live. So again, I need you to be led by the Spirit to go, what would that look like for in your home or with your extended family to say, hey, we're going to be intentional about um, maybe taking a tech Shabbat during Lent. I don't know. That's, I think, a really easy way to think through it. Check out your digital well-being. Look at how long you're on stuff and go, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that for six hours the other day. So that's one thing to think about. Second thing, which is totally counterintuitive to what I just said. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to tell you. But it's that maybe you can use your devices in a different way. I have a slide here. This next slide has, um, these are some apps that you can get. And perhaps that you would take, you would take this technology and say, instead of using it to do X, Y, Z, you would say, I'm going to refill my time with these things. The Bible app has a ton of uh, amazing programs that you, you can do, applications through that. Even with your kids, you can walk through the next generation. Something I just started listening to, I really appreciate it. It's called Through the Word. It takes one chapter of the Bible at a time and gives like a seven or eight minute kind of lesson of what's going on and gives you a summary of what's going on in that chapter. I'm doing that with my kids going through Leviticus, which is super helpful. <laughs> anyway, uh, read scripture. Um, that's the Bible Projects app, which is great. It's got all the Bible Project videos embedded in as you come through Scripture. Lectio 365 is a, is a great prayer app. Uh, use it every night before I go to bed. Uh, help just to kind of end the day with the Lord. And then Devo is a great app in terms of I wake up, you can wake up in the morning and listen to a worship song that uh, then has a little discourse as to what's the words going on. These are just five, and I'm not, there's other ones out there you may be using. These are just, if you don't know the apps, Here's a, here are a couple I'd encourage you to say, could I use these apps during Lent to try to be backfilling time that I would not be using this for other things and increasing an understanding of the scriptures, the word of God. And lastly, if you're young and you're in the room, in fact, uh, no matter how old you are, there's probably always someone who's going to be older than you. My, my challenge to you or request would be for you to maybe ask some questions to seek wisdom from those who are older than you. I have, I think in this next slide, what if you interviewed youth? What if you interviewed your parents or grandparents or a mentor in the faith and you would say, what would you go back if you could and tell yourself at my age? What would you say? Youth, can you maybe just ask someone who's in your life that question? What of God's wisdom has been most impactful for you in your life? Can you share your faith journey with me? You maybe have never asked that of your parents or your grandparents. And I'm talking to even adults. Are we willing to invest in and be humble enough to listen to those who are maybe of the, the former, the previous generation? That would, be, those, that would be my third application for you. So those are the ways I'm hoping that we'll be able to apply the Word of God today. And then over this next, again, six weeks, we're really hoping that we can really slow down and be not so fast. Not so fast. Not so fast to outsource our faith and not so fast to do five other things that we're going to talk about for the next five weeks. So, would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, help us to slow down. Help us to listen. Help us to seek your face. 
Help us to live in light of your wisdom. Help us to understand Jesus increasingly and how he desires that we'd walk in his ways, follow his path. He's gone before us, Lord. Thank you, Father, that he is the perfect king in the application of all these things so that we can be reconnected to you. Father, I ask that this would be the case not just for the next generation, but for the thousandth generation. That you'd bless us in this way as we invest and connect. Would you bless us to the thousandth generation because of who you are. We pray this in Christ's name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.